Hello. Hello. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Words Over Whiskey episode 28. I am joined by a guest this time. Someone whose sultry, sexy tones have been much requested to return for an episode. I'm joined by Tom from The Green Wheel Gaming. Welcome back. Hello, Harry. Thank you. It's been almost, well, it's been pretty much a year since you were last on the episode. Quite frankly, unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, it does make me a bad host. Then. I cannot believe we've waited this long. This long, yes. I mean, life's been busy, man. It life's has. Life's been busy. It has. I've, you, I've you've moved, moved yeah. multiple, multiple times <laughs> in the previous year. Oh, yeah, actually, I have. <laughs> yeah. I actually have. So it's kind of been a bit difficult to pin you down. Yeah, and for sure. Get you in for another episode. So I don't think it's my fault. <laughs> okay, I'll Imme- immediately shifts blame. <laughs> no, no, that's no, fair enough. That's I- I'll take some of the responsibility. To be honest, I could have pushed a little bit more on my heart. Anyway, I'm looking forward to this episode because we have a little bit of a a whiskey lineup. We have range. more whiskies than I've tried in my lifetime in front of me. So yeah, so for the. Pre- well, for the first episode we had you on, yep. we got you, because you're quite a novice in the whiskey world, yep. a rookie, we got you trying some Glenfiddich 12. This time, what we've done is we've gone out and purchased a few miniatures. And I, when I came to see you, we first thing we sought out was the local whiskey shop. They are gorgeous miniatures. They are absolutely stunning. So, so what, what, what do we have? What is so this? we've got five different scotches here. Okay. But we were going to get ones from each of the five different uh, scotch whiskey regions however they didn't have any Campbell towns so oh there was a plan yes so oh i thought you just pointed and went this is what we're doing no in my, in, i had a plan in my head that we we're going to try five whiskeys okay. each from different regions unfortunately they didn't have any Campbelltown whiskeys shame however what we've got is we have a lowland a highland two space sides and an isla whiskey so i think we're going to go with the lowland whiskey first okay starters then we're going to highland do the two space sides and then finish with the Isla. This is a proper ignorant question, but Lowland and Highland, are these going to make any difference to the taste? Or is that like the like the place that they're made? Literally? It's the place that they're made. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, so you've got High, uh, Highlands, Lowlands, Speyside, Campbelltown. And oh, I'm Isla, excited now. Which I'm pretty sure when I had you on the previous episode, that was my bit of whiskey trivia for you, was how many regions in Scotland were Mate, there? it's been a year. It's been a year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what do we do? Do I open the mic? Not that one. Oh, not that one. We're going to start with this one. Okay, gotcha. We're starting with the Lowland. We're yep. starting with the Ockentoshan. So, a little fun fact about the Ockentoshan is that it's one of the few Scotch whiskies that is triple distilled. Triple distilled? Triple distilled. So, pretty much most other Scotch whiskies are double distilled, and pretty much all, basically all. Irish whiskey is triple distilled, so it's quite rare to find. What does it being triple do to the... So it makes it a sort of lighter, brighter character. Bright? Oh, okay. Oh my God, okay, that does smell really nice. Yeah. What are you getting from that? In your novice Okay, yeah. Opinion. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm bracing to embarrass myself. It's It smells quite... I want to say sweet. Is it sweet in there? Right, maybe... Uh, yeah, oh, I don't know. Go like, on, you, you ca- do you, you ca- do Like you. caramel biscuit. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 right. Let me have a smell. So I'm going to identify that. Touch florally, maybe. I get this. I get the floral. I don't get the caramel. Light honey. Do not get something some, something biscuity. Blimey, if I keep inhaling this, I think it might burn my nostrils. I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. give it a try. Yeah, Cheers, yeah, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. Oh, that's really nice. Oh my word, that's gorgeous. That seems less 
aggressive than the one that I tried yesterday. What was that one? Uh, what did we try? I can't remember what we tried. It's from the larger bottle downstairs. Oh, yes, the spring bank that I bought. Spring, yeah. Mm. Well, this is because well, this is lovely. unpeated, whereas the spring bank is lightly, lightly peated. So do you think I would enjoy... Okay, cool. I'm sensing a pattern here. Which not, by the end of this uh, tryout session, we're definitely going to have identified some kind of like... What you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why, that's why we're trying to arrange. We're finding, finding <laughs> what you do and don't like. So this is a... We need to make labels for this. So this is a... You say less peated? It's unpeated. Unpeated, okay. So pretty much everything apart from the, the more yep. is unpeated. So, yes. So the lineup is Ockentosh 12, Deanston 12, Glenallachy 12, Alveni 12, and Beaumont 12. Oh, that's really easy to, dr to drink, actually. That's <laughs> dangerously easy. Oh, that is nice. Mm. It doesn't even burn on the way down. Why? It's so smooth. A touch oakiness. It's nice. Mm. Yeah, it's been, it's mm. been, Lovely, a, long, yeah. been okay. a long time since I've had any Ockentosh. So that is a nice, nice refresher. In your stock, do you have any? No, no, I don't actually. How come? Just because I've got plenty of other bottles. Right now, <laughs> yeah, I <think>. yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. I need to. I need to get through my current stock before I go buying anything else. Not that mm. it stops me buying anything else. No, it definitely wouldn't. Though it hasn't done so far on this trip, has it? <laughs> well, on any usual episode, what we do is after we've tried our first whiskey, mm. I come in with a little bit of whiskey trivia. Are you ready? Yes, hit me. So, I'm going to make you play a little bit of a guessing game here. Oh, 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 God, so no. About in the last, I think it was about a month ago, or maybe just over a month ago, cask, a single cask of Ardbeg, it was from, from 1975, was sold. Okay. Take a guess at how much it sold for. Give me some information about what it, what the drink is like. So, Ardbeg is an Isla whiskey. Okay. It is... Um, Quite heavily peated, so mm. quite smoky. Mm -hmm. um, Trying to remember when it was closed for a while and it reopened. It's kind of, in, I actually can't remember off the top of my head. Okay, no worries. But yeah, the main characteristic of it is very heavily peated, so you get a lot of smoke from it. And it has had quite the resurgence and become quite popular. So this was in, it came from 19, was it 70s? So the, so the whiskey was put into the cask in 1975. Oh, wow, that's a long time. has been sat in there. Bloody so hell. Okay, I'm going to... It's about 45, 46 years old. I'm going to go out on a whim and say, and say 400 pounds, Henry. 400 pounds. You're smiling at me. I think, I think I've, I've so underballed it. So this, this is the cask, not... Single oh, uh, <coughs> okay. <laughs> a little bit south then, I believe. Okay, I will add, because I have no clue, I'm going to add another zero. 4,000. 4,000, yes. So in whiskey, there are often bottles that are sold for 400 or 4,000. This is an entire cask full of whiskey. Oh, my Lord. Go on, how much? Go on. Sold for sixteen million pounds. What? Oh, sixteen million pounds. Yep. So you're a bit, a bit shy. Just a wee bit. Just I'm a wee bit shy. Digits south. <laughs> How many caskets are there? Was it just the one? Just the left? one cask. Right. So it's a cask. Right. Yeah. So this was uh, privately bought by an individual. Mm -hmm. um, now the previous record had been held by a 34-year-old Macallan that had been sold earlier in the year for £1 million. 
printer in the background. Yeah, just, just wanted to join the conversation. <laughs> he's surprised. He's very surprised. So yeah, the previous record holder was a cask uh, thirty-four-year-old Macallan okay. being sold for one million. That's a fucking big jump. That. Yes. Yeah. So a going from jump. one million to sixteen million is quite the my jump. days. What was the why? Why was that one so expensive, and why would this one have been so much more expensive? I think partly because so that's the so that's a jump by. 12 years oh okay so yeah and of course with older whiskey the, the older it is the less of it there is because of the natural evaporation from the cask sure and also there's the potential for older casks to spoil so getting whiskey that is about 40 50 years old is, is rare. quite rare okay so this is the rare enough that it came they got to this point so that increases the value there's less of it that increases the value and Ardbeg is quite a popular whiskey at the moment, increases the value. So, sorry, mate, you, you've, you've said loads of stuff there that's really interesting, and I'm just going to pick on a couple of them. The evaporation of a, of a cask. cask? Mm -hmm. how, how much of a cask evaporates over a period of, like, say, like 12 years that you, you might find in a store? So, on average, it's about 2% of the whiskey in the cask evaporates per year. Per year? Per year. So at the 45-year mark, you're looking at nothing left. Well, you think about the cast, they, they hold quite a lot. Of, yeah, quite but a that, lot in I mean, them. you know, your yield is... I mean, they're just sold for 16 million, so it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, that's really interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So the, when it evaporates, it's known as the angel's share. The what? The angel's share. The angel's share. Yes. Oh. The, 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 um, Go see the angels. Myth, the myth is that the angels come down and take their share. <laughs> take it back up to heaven or have a or they wobble their way back up to heaven <laughs> yeah well yeah <laughs> so, um yeah so the plan is for the um for the person who bought the cast mm -hmm. is to draw enough to fill out a few bottles every year so i think um so their plan is over the next five years to keep drawing it out so they have a set of bottles that are from 45 mm -hmm. year old mm -hmm. they leave a bit more cast in the next lot they'll be drawer is 46 year old and then they plan to go up till 2026, where it'll be 50 years old whiskey that they're drawing. And would they be able to recoup the 16 million that they spent on it? Yes. So the, the, from the article I read, um, which was on Master of Malt, it said that the um, bottles from the cask are valued at around 36,000. Oh my God. Yes. Wow. What kind of margin profit would that be? How many bottles would they make? I think, I think <clears throat> they said they were going to roughly it'd be about 88 bottles per year. The whiskey will probably go up in value each year. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. And then they, if they have a set of whiskey from 19, if they have a set of 45 to 50 year old whiskey, they are going to be one of the few people who has that set and sure. then they can charge whatever they want. So they'd be making close to, if they were just to sell each bottle for 36,000, they'd be making close to 15, 16 million back. But of course, they can up the prices for this quite rare whiskey. Right. Yeah. Sure. The um, okay. other thing is that a of the sixteen million, about one million is going to charity. Oh, that's nice. That's fantastic. What charity does it matter? I think uh, charity is based on Isla, which is the island where the whiskey. Oh, okay, is made. makes sense. Got you. Got you. Yes, that's just a fun little bit of whiskey trivia for you there. I am. Um very nearly finishing this glass here and i'm getting worried because as we go through them i'm realizing i'm gonna to have to go back to compare so i'm not going to 
I think I'll stop drinking this one now. Well, that's why we've that's why we've got a few. That's why we've got. Well, that's a, why we're leaving a little bit. Yeah, got to leave a bit. A few different samples. Very nice. Excellent. Cool. I like that trivia. Good. Nice. So, are you, are you wanting to try the next one? I am. I'm looking. I'm eyeing up the um. What's this one here? We're going to be doing the. Oh, that one. Okay. Beanston next. Beanston. We go Lowlands, Highlands, Speyside, Isla. Oh, is this like a palette clearing? Yes. So putting the water in the glass clears up the glass. Clever. Ready for us to try the next one? Blimey, learning all the things. Oh, blimey, that's that smells different. That one. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, but I mean. So I think Deanson Twelve is um, matured in ex bourbon barrels. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I remember the gentleman in the store talking to us about it. So that will give it quite a lot of uh, vanilla notes, vanilla caramel, bit maybe a touch of coconut as well. I definitely get the vanilla, hundred percent. Yeah. Was there any vanilla in the one that we had before? I would have said so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think vanilla is probably one of the most common tasting notes you will get from whiskey, particularly. Um, ex-bourbon cask okay because if you try a bourbon most people's takeaway is vanilla coconut mm. oak yeah okay cheers cheers that was a bit sharper than the last one we tried it's amazing that you can even just between those two the mm. organ felt lighter whereas this feels a bit more heavier it definitely denser. does 100 percent. i prefer the first one 100 percent. i can't get the notes though i'm not sure why maybe i'm just not educated enough my mouth isn't isn't that uh I think I think part of it is experience. The mm-hmm. more the more you try, the more you'll be able to differentiate and pick out different notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it is also if you're trying quite a few, eventually they they, they meld. Merge. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I think. So what does this have that the last one does not have in terms of the old flavour? Then, so me, I'd say as it feels like it has a slightly denser mouthfeel. Okay, I'd agree with that. No, I notice that definitely quite. getting quite a bit of vanilla. Get a nice sort of um, ever so slightly tannic woodiness at the end. Oh, interesting. But it's very pleasant. I do really like the instant. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit, I feel a tiny bit biased because they were the first ever Scottish distillery I visited. Were they? Yeah. Oh, in your little tour. Yeah, nice. So, yeah. I, but I, I think their stuff <laughs> in general is quite nice. Um, yeah, I think. Deanston and Tullamore I will always have soft spots for because Tullamore was the first Irish distiller I ever visited and Deanston was the first Scottish. So I think I'll always sure. have a slight, uh, slight soft, soft spot for them. Yeah, but, uh, yes. Well, <clears throat> seeing as it's been a year since we had had you on previously, sure. tell us a bit about what's happening with the channel or anything interesting that's happened or anything, any news you want to tell us. So um, uh, I was quite an early purchaser for the Steam Deck. Mm, perfect. And um, tell us, tell us about that because that is actually some really quite exciting. It is. It's very exciting. So I've been watching a lot of teardowns, a lot of teardown YouTube videos, uh, specifically from Linus, um, where he's been doing some like heat testing with his FPSs to work out where the bottlenecks are, what the limits of the of the of the application is. Um, I'm, I'm part way a Linux user. Like I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I'd know my way around the terminal. Like, you know, I wouldn't be able to write stuff without having researched a little bit beforehand, but I totally know what's going into the command line when I'm installing things is what I'm trying to say. You're talking about coding and stuff. Yeah. I sort of, yeah. So with Linux, because it's, um, oh, how do I do this without offending anyone? We're, we're, uh, it's not a fully, it's not a, it's not a foolproof operating system. 
it's um it's designed by the community so there's a lot of aspects about it that can provide many benefits but it would require more work so to do an action in windows or mac to do in linux you might need to have entered a couple of lines of code into it's like a like a like a small window to 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 get the output or retrieve packages. Mm. There's not like a GUI. There's not a graphical user interface for that thing, for that action. So when I picked up Steam Deck, I knew that because it was Linux based, there was going to need to be some of that action to get some really high level customization that you wouldn't have usually got. But um, so sorry for the. Can you just go back? But yeah, so yeah. For members of the audience who don't know what Steam Deck is, okay, right. can you uh, <laughs> scale, okay. scale back and it's explain to Several them. years ago, uh, Valve created Steam, uh, praise be to, to, to Valve, they created... Steam is an online gaming platform. It's an online gaming platform, yeah, apologies. Uh, where people can... It's the largest online gaming platform where people buy basically all PC games. I think there's a... It's, it, it's like, I don't know, and an, an, an incredibly large uh, user base percentage. I don't know. Off the cuff, I'd just guess 80% of the users that play games mainly play on, on Steam just because of the sheer quantity of games that are on there. Like, it's phenomenal how many games are on there. And they are owned by a company called Valve. And Valve has created a handheld gaming device based on Linux that people can purchase. At the moment, they are only uh, sending out these Steam Decks people who have actually reserved them before. So when they were announced, you had a period of a time where you could reserve and you join a queue, which is obviously, in my opinion, to prevent scalpers from other uh, people who buy stuff and then sell them online for a profit. To prevent that, this system, in my opinion, is far is far superior. It's not, it's not perfect because obviously you're relying on limiting per user, but uh, each account that can buy a Steam Deck has to be verified, mm. which is not something that you'd usually have. So for example, when a couple of months ago, so I say months ago, over the last several years, when there's been like a, a silicon shortage, so there's a lot of computer parts that are, are lacking, um, like production materials, you know, shipping requirements, there's lots of issues with computer parts. A lot of people were scalpers, the people that were buying it and selling it online, they were buying this stuff immediately from the vendors and then hauling them at like three times the price online on eBay. So it often happens with uh, sort of more limited edition whiskey yeah. as well. You'll have oh, yeah. people who call flippers who um, buy like limited edition bottles that are you know, quite hard to get and then just sell it at double the price, triple mm. the price. Yeah, totally. The, I've seen a couple of people doing this now with the Steam Decks, only a couple. Like, like I think it, the, the limit is three Steam Decks per person, mm. uh, per, per account, which is obviously, you know, a darn sight better than people batch buying 500 graphics cards and then trying to mine Bitcoin off it. It's ridiculous. Anyway, right. Tangent. Steam Deck arrived. It's wonderful. Um, it's a, a wonderful device that has allowed me to play a lot of the indie games I think people would probably be overlooking. And I think my news is that I'm so impressed at how this is going to change the the, the market for for gaming. Like it, it it's going to change a lot. It's because because you showed me it's kind of 
anyone who knows of the Nintendo Switch, it kind of looks a bit like that. 100%. But it allows you to play your entire Steam library on it on the go. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, so basically, um, on the go gaming, but mm. you can use your entire PC library, which you usually you'd be stuck at the desk playing on your PC, whereas this you can take on your go. Yeah. You can carry on playing games you started playing on the PC. Yeah. You can just take it out and about with you. It's like a port well, it's basically a portable gaming device for your computer library. Yeah. I wish I had a crib sheet here of some te- technical information, but it's like it the, that, the that's when I would start to go off. Yeah, yeah. Like when I, when I go all whiskey geeky on you, like you can see it's just like oh, <laughs> as soon as you start going Linux CPU, EGPA and oh. all that stuff, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> the um it's it's a the, the battery life is good. The screen is large, bright. It's you know it's touch screen as well, which is fantastic. I don't is it is a switch touch touch screen? I remember, I think it's potentially potentially touch screen. So mm, actually, no, I don't think it is. Oh, fair enough. Well, it's touch screen, um, which is good because I'll talk about that in a minute. The reason why I think this changes so much is is uh, there's so many benefits to playing on a PC. I mean, unless you you might be able to tell, I'm a PC gamer. And uh, my library at the moment, I think it's about 480 games. Um, 480 games, I'll just buy from Steam. Because a lot of the time, uh, I guess the benefit about, about when you buy computer games is that there's a, there's a marketplace that gives you a true value of the game. Like this, it, what, I guess what I'm trying to say is when you buy a computer part firsthand as it's released, you know, MSRP, if that's the right term, at, you know, the price it's supposed to be at. In five years, that price is going to drop, isn't it? Because that computer part is not as powerful as other parts have come out since. So you'd sell that part for less money. I believe that the same should apply to games. And because you're on PC, you have that available space for people to get those, you know, games. And as interest wanes, as graphics are replaced by better graphics, as the, as the game is less popular, the price of that, you know, that, that code that would allow you to buy that game online decreases, you know, proper marketplace value, an item value. With switches, you don't necessarily get that. Well, that's, I think that's just Nintendo in, in general, <laughs> literally like Nintendo gate, PlayStation, Xbox games tend to drop in price at least like six months to a year afterwards. Whereas Nintendo games will often just keep their prices yeah, not, not far off what it was when it was released. They might drop by like five, 10 pounds if that. Most of the mm. time they will just stay the same. I think that is, I think mm. that's Nintendo really. True. Fair enough. If you were to go into CEX and you want to purchase, uh, I don't know, an Xbox game, a disc that is, the disc will be at the value that the consumer market feels that that game is. If you were to buy that same game from their store, I promise you that it will be much, much more expensive. Now, I know it's probably just a way of it, right? just with a lot of technology. But what I'm trying to get at is the Steam Deck allows you to play games that have been purchased from a true value perspective, which gives people a hell of a lot more customization with their libraries, you know? Like they can, they can buy a batch of five games at actual market value from Steam, 
because they they're, they're more say, reflective. Like Steam, the number of sales and everything Steam has on all the time. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Like The Witcher Three for three pounds seventy five. Yes, yeah. I'll take that. I don't know how much it goes on other platforms, but it's certainly probably not as low as three pounds seventy five. I, I, I bought years years ago now. I think I bought Witcher Three on PS Four for mm. like fifteen pounds. Sure, and then a couple of months later, all. Th- all three were on Steam for like twenty pounds. Yeah, exactly. And I ended up selling my PS4 version and bought all three. Yeah, so that's perfect. Yeah, excuse me, that is literally perfect—a perfect analogy, perfect example. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. And also, as I was explaining earlier, a little bit candidly, I jumped the gun a bit. The customization from Linux means that in the future, not necessarily now, because I don't know exactly how, one can mod their games. They can add files. They can maybe find their saves, their save file locations, and they can back them up. Mm. You know, you can't do that on any other platform, not that I know of. And if you can, it's probably like a mass export feature of everything, like all or nothing, you know? You can't do that. You know, this has SD card compatibility for like terabytes of data. Like PS5, if you want to save your data, you have to save it to either on the console itself or cloud storage or um, external uh, um, hard drive. Hard drive, yeah. And I bet that there's no support for editing those files. I bet you. Yeah. If you edit or touch those files, you, you've broken it, you've bugged it. I mean, it's, that's it. Go on, it's game over. Yeah. Um, anyway, Steam Deck, fantastic. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. It's quiet. It's handheld. It it has wonderful um, connectivity. You can connect it to a, a dock. Can, can you play it without an internet connection? Or do you have to have Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's also a fantastic thing that comes from this. Um, so there's so many positives. It's actually hard to pick out a couple. There's a, a the the creator of the Steam Deck Valve. <clears throat> they made their own operating system. Now the operating system runs on Linux. It's a version of Linux, and what that means for the consumer is you can install, like let's say you have a spare computer in your house, mm. you can wipe Windows off it or Mac or whatever. I don't know if you can do it with Mac, but Windows you certainly can. And you can install this operating system. So you just have your games. You will, you'll, no overheads, no crappy other third party software to get stuff working as it should be all of your library. And the reason why this is so exciting is because the operating system that you will install is Steam big picture mode. So it's like, it's the, the normal window that you'd have for Steam on a PC but it's made full screen and the layouts change so that if you're at range, you know, with a console controller, mm. you can navigate it very easily. So that operating system is what's on the Steam Deck. So the fact that they've incorporated this operating system means you can do things like go offline. You can literally turn off your device from Wi-Fi, say anything that currently doesn't have, you know, that does not updated, can't play, fine, fair enough, because, you know, it might need a, an important update. And if it's pending, then it won't allow you to play it when it's, you know, it's like an app really, isn't it? If there's an update, I guess. Um, but anything that is up to date, you can play offline. So taking on train, you know, um, going out on holiday as an example. Now, you know, I, I'm an advocate for, you know, market value items, you know, home lab stuff. So things that you can make yourself, host yourself, like, 
servers or applications. I don't like giving my data away to other people. So I, I host my own server and, you know, it opens up the door for many other things. I've only had Steam Deck for about three days. So <laughs> to summarize, you're enjoying the Steam Deck. I love the Steam Deck, Henry. It's wonderful. It is superb. Feat of human engineering. The minute that I saw a PSP, when I was like, oh my God knows, eight years old, I dreamed of the day I could take my Steam games away, away with me in the same way I could do with the PSP. Mm. And uh, it is an absolute Christmas miracle that I can actually do that within my lifetime. Obviously, it would have been possible, but you don't really think about it. You think these ideas have been left behind. Yeah. You know, like the Switch when it came out and it's 12 games on its store, like you... You know, yes, they're good games. They're, you know, they're, they're pretty decent, but like that's nothing compared to 400 games. And that's just my Steam library. Yeah. Like one of my friends who's a bit older than me and earns a substantial more money than me plays a hell of a lot more games than I do. His library reflects all of the above. Can you imagine the, the, the sheer power that he has in his hands, you know, to download all of these games to his device and take them away? Oh, so is it you could, you can get. All four, does it have enough memory that you can put all 400 on? Good question. So the Steam Deck shipped at its most expensive, like, uh, option, pricing option with 500 odd gigabytes worth of, worth of memory. Now, I don't really think that's enough. And I knew, I know they know that's not enough. They're aware of it. So what they did was they've included SD card compatibility. So you can plug in an SD card and I found an SD card for like a terabyte. Maybe maybe two for between 120 and 200 pounds. Yeah. It's a lot of money for an SD card. It's a lot of money, but imagine how much space that is. That's terabytes of data. Like, you know, you don't have that much data usually that on any kind of portable device. You just you just don't. So yes, it's expensive, but it's in line with t- technology that you want in a device like that. What I mean by that is I don't want to have bought an item that has limited storage with no expansion, you know? Yeah. And if there is going to be expansion, I want it to be in line with what technology currently exists outside my house, you know? I don't have to wait 10 years until someone can make some kind of proprietary, you know, Wi-Fi HD dongle. I don't, I don't know, know what that is. I'm just making stuff up. But, like, this is a this is a real thing that's been around for decades, an SD card. That's not new tech. It's just tech. Mm. It's like... It's giving people the choice to plug it in. You don't have that with only devices. It doesn't exist. It's fantastic. This is nice. You're enjoying this. Thing I love Sorry, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> I cut all of that and burn it. I love it. It's fantastic. It's a wonderful <laughs> device. What about the um, the rest of the channel? And oh and yeah, stream, sorry. Streaming and so because I've been moving a lot. Um, I've been a bit ill recently. I haven't been streaming as much. Not gonna lie. I think I've, I've stopped for a couple of months now. I think simply because when we moved, um, we didn't really realize how much stuff we had, you know, yeah. like we, we really did have a lot of stuff. And even though we moved from a two bedroom house to a quite larger two, sorry, we moved from a two bed flat to a two bed house, I think, but with, you know, you know, obviously a lounge, a kitchen area, hmm. much more separated two stories, quite a large building. We, we, I don't think we were prepared for how much work we would need to put in to actually, you know, make that house, you know, no. somewhere where you can stream in from the get go. Uh, but in terms of YouTube and, 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 and such, the actual channel, not the streaming, I think I have about 40 videos now that are in the backlog. They're, mm-hmm. um, 
not just backlog to edit, I mean backlog to post. Mm. I've just been uh, putting off making all the descriptions for 40 <laughs> videos. Like, it's a lot of videos to write descriptions for. So, so you're saying is that we have quite a bit to look forward to? Yeah, 100%. The, yeah, yeah. I've tried some new styles of editing. I've done some compilation videos for Battlefront 2. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a couple of like standalone episodes for new games I've tried, like, uh, oh my days, what is the name of the game? That's embarrassing. Vietnam, oh, Rising Storm Vietnam 2. There we go. Rising Storm Vietnam 2. Uh, that's a first person shooter. Quite an old game with an amazing soundtrack. Uh, so I tried that out for several hours and I've recorded the whole lot and posted a, basically, I've made a compilation video of that, of that, of that little uh, session that we did. Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots to look forward to. I'm hoping to actually start that soon. My work situation is kind of changing at the moment. I think it will give me a little bit more time to to do this stuff. Mm. So expect to see a lot of a lot of change on the horizon. I think is the way I, the way I, I structure that. Yeah, mm. that's good. Nice to sort of see some of the uh, new. Of course, with moving everything, I know you're taking a break. Yeah, yeah. Streaming and the uploading everything. So it'd be kind of nice to see the uh, clips and everything come back. I've always enjoyed those when you. I yeah, loved I doing them. I really, really did. I really did. They were good fun. I mean, there was one, I think I spent, uh, I spent a long time editing it. During one of the streams, I had hiccups that would not leave. And I was like, this is going to be awful. It's going to be the worst, the worst bit of material I've ever done in my life. This, this little bit here. Um, when I hiccup, I make a, like a, I don't know, like a, like a noise at the end. It's like, uh, kind of like a, like when like hit. And I thought, what, what can I do with it? Well, I made a compilation of all of the, all of the noises that I made and all of the scenarios where I, where I hiccuped and it caused me to, to have a catastrophic, uh, scenario in the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Catastrophic failure. Uh, so that was funny. I enjoyed doing that. Well, ready to move on to the next whiskey. Heck yes. I'm excited for this next one because this is one even I haven't tried yet. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. All the other ones I have actually tried at some point. However, this one I have not tried. So this is. Okay, it's a 12 year old. I don't think it says if it has any specific finish what cask it came from. Yes, it's been interesting to try because I have never had any Glen Okay, I've certainly never had uh, this one. Oh, wow, that's that's uh, is that smoky? No, okay, right, it shouldn't be. Okay, what's <laughs> I'm guessing it's potentially sherry cask, it's quite. Fruity, raisiny. Feels denser. It smells, um, yeah, more intense. Yeah, more intense. Blimey, that is much more intense than the last one I tried. My guess mm -hmm. is that's sherry cask. Does the color, uh, it looks through the bottle, it looks quite dark. Yeah, it's darker. Well, it depends. Some whiskies do use, um, <clears throat> coloration called caramel. Okay. Yeah, or it's called, but it's not actually like caramel flavoring. It's think. just coloring. It's just a coloring. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so some whiskies will use that. Uh, often they'll have a, most whiskies that don't use colouring, they will advertise that because they want, to, want you to know it's a natural colour yep. thing. Yep. Um, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Oh, let's try. I've worried about how strong this is, yeah. 40%? Mm -hmm. 40%, I think. 46%. I think all of these are either 40 or 46%. <clears throat> oh, okay. <clears throat> Different again, isn't it? I get the aftertaste of the... The, uh, fruitiness, yeah, almost I like a raisiny fruit cakey ish. Mm. Oh, that is that is um, that is a bit uh, definitely more intense than the last one we tried. Mm. I think, uh, well, yeah, <clears throat> Deanston was 
Actually, Dingston was a higher ABV. Dingston was 46.3. Oh, really? Whereas this one was only 46%. Yeah, often um, the sherry casks, you'll often get that more sort of fruity, dried fruit note and fruit cake raisin, mm-hmm. which is often my go-to. I quite like sherry cask whiskies because if you get, I feel you get more from it in a way. I feel you, I can always pick up a variety of more intense flavours. Sure, yeah. Whereas like some, often some of the really smoky ones, all I get is that smoke and the pee. And I struggle to pick out any other flavours from it. Not to say I dislike them, but I often quite like when I can have a whiskey and I can like, oh, I can pick quite a few things out from that. Although I know my palate isn't matured enough to identify specific flavours, I, I can actually sense the flavours in this one. Like I, I know I can. Um, that last one I tried on the last podcast, excuse me, that was PT, wasn't it? That wasn't, though. Okay. Found it quite hard to get that one. I think often people say they get smokiness from whiskey, but I think it's sometimes it's just their perception of what they think smoky is, is right. from whiskey when they haven't tried a lot. Mm-hmm. But when you actually try smoky whiskey, so like the, when we get around to oh, so we will eventually see what that was. Okay, yeah, whiskey is like okay, not that it's enough. not that it's like going to be a blow your head off smoky because Burmore is quite nice because it's. A, balance of peter's whiskey but it's also put in sherry casks so that fruitiness yep. from the sherry cask will kind of help round it off slightly got it yeah no the glag here 12 it's not it's not bad at all i do think i have had sherry cask stuff but sherry cask whiskies but still very drinkable nonetheless mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think so i've seen the black glag they use so many different finishes in their whiskey they have quite a range and it's like all quite daunting as to try try and try them all to find out what one I'd like. But I just, just been trying so many other things. I, this is actually the first time I've got around to trying one. So when Are I saw this bite, I'm enjoying it. I mean if someone handed me a glass mm. of this, I'd have to, have to <laughs> yes, sip, sip, sip away at it. Yeah, yeah. Um whether it would be at the top of my list to go and purchase, I'm not sure. So what are you not liking from it? There's not nothing that I'm not, not liking, liking. Yeah, sure, sure. But I think I've tried other whiskies that have kind of made me go, wow, a bit mm. more. They were kind of complete, very different from what I expected and I really enjoyed the result or I just was able to pick up a lot of flavours from that. I like, I mean, this I'm like, said I'm getting like raisin and fruitcake, which are flavours I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've also had other whiskies where I've got those flavours, enjoyed them, but I've also got a bit more from them. So... Yeah, I mean, this is delicious. Interesting. Tasty. Yeah, okay, yeah. But yeah, I think I think it's the fact that I've found a few whiskies that I know I can get this flavour profile from, and I'm happy getting those. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. So I see you have a, some notes there to your Ooh, side. yes. And this was, as you told me, in preparation for one of my common questions on the podcast that I often ask other Tom, or regular co-host Tom, what have you been reading, Tom? Well, Henry, let me explain. So um, I don't read often. Okay? I know that's a not the best thing to bring to a, a, a podcast that is about books, whiskey, and, you know, and if I haven't read that much, it's not great. But what I have read recently, and I do mean this is very, very recent, I actually have the rest of these books on the shelf, is a book called The Painted Man by Peter V. Brett. So I, I was in Ye Old Waterstones. And uh, I was hunting for a couple of, um, you know, mangas I'd missed off from my collection. 
and uh, I saw this on the shelf and I liked the I liked the artwork on the front of it and because uh, it's quite a just to explain what the what the front cover is it's a a man with a kind of a, a woven uh, cloak sort of like a tied. hooded hooded robe yeah a hood yeah yeah with a hood to it kind of tied in a monk a monk's kind of uh, knot around the waist with his face covered, but you can kind of see the bottom half of it. It's all white with, um, that painted white with symbols on it etched into, in, into the paint. So obviously the book's called The Painted Man. So it's about this, it's, it's about this, it's about this guy, clearly. Um, it, uh, he stood in front of like a cloud with sun, sun behind him. So it's quite a bright, bright book. So, so this is a case of judging a book by its cover and you like, you liked what you look, you saw. It, it literally caught my eye. It was, it was eye level. Uh, I saw it, walked past it, was like, oh wow, what's this flashing in my in my eye, in my peripheral vision? I went over and had a look. And it was such a convincing kind of blurb that I definitely picked it up and I walked out. I I, I don't usually buy buy. I, I was gonna say I hope you paid for it. No, I did, I hundred percent paid for it, yeah. So the shall I read the blurb? Or is that is that sure, what you do? Go ahead. Okay, okay. <clears throat> for hundreds of years, these creatures have terrorized the night, slowly culling the human population. It was not always this way. Men and women did not always cower behind protective magical wards and hope to see the dawn. Once they battled the demons on equal terms, but those days and skills are gone. Arlen Bales lives with his parents on the isolated farmstead until a demon attack shatters their world. He learns a savage lesson that day, that people, as well as magic, can let you down. Rejecting the fear that kills as efficiently as the creatures, Arlen risks another path in order to offer humanity a last fleeting chance of survival. Yeah, pretty powerful stuff. No, I I want to read that. Yeah, I bet you do. It's, yeah. it's a really interesting so book. It sounds uh, if uh, if other Tom hasn't uh, read that, I'll have to recommend it to him because just that blurb alone sounds like his cup of tea. Sure, sure. So or a cup of coffee in his case. <laughs> right. if, I told, if I told him tea, he'd be <laughs> he'd be reeling. <laughs> um. Yeah, okay, so the book. You've kept it in very nice condition. I actually, I bought another copy. <laughs> I, I bought two copies. Um, I bought one for my dad. Mm -hmm. the, the author of the book who I had advocated on the first time I was on the, the podcast, he is usually into gladiator-style uh, medieval action thriller kind of books. Mm -hmm. He reads, a, I, I can't remember the franchise of books, They've made a series of films. Uh, one of them was The Eagle with uh, Channing Tatum. He was, he's into that type of stuff. But uh, obviously, you know, the book that he made, uh, that, that he wrote was more about, uh, his, his life in the, in the force. This, uh, this read was very, was very interesting. The books I've read previously. Oh, he also, he's always into Terry Pratchett. So what, what do I do? Shall I explain what, what the book's about? Shall I? Uh, this one? Yeah. Yeah. This uh, one. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Give us a, give us a. Okay. Spoiler free-ish rundown. Uh, I mean, oh, spoiler free-ish rundown. I like that. Because uh, judging from it, I will be probably looking to pick okay. this up. I'll try my absolute best. As the blurb suggested, there are humans that are fighting demons. Uh, the way that the story has been written to explain the present is, is incredibly interesting. There are so many <clears throat> post-apocalyptic books out there that try their best to create an interesting story about something that's been explained so many times. And each one of those books does the same thing, but just a little bit different. 
I feel as though this one has done it different enough that it's interesting, but kept the same kind of standard that, you know, everyone can really appreciate. They explain, the author, Peter Brett, explains that the times that they're in now are basically the dark times. There was an age of science, and before that, there was an age of basically magic. And a saviour who had fought the demons in that age of magic, pushed them back, had then gone into hiding. And he is, I can't remember the name that they called him, but it's like some kind of a sacred name. It's like a, like a, he's almost like a messiah. And when the science times came, people forgot about these weapons that they used. They'd used magic, defensive wards and offensive wards. And, uh, after the age of, the age of science had gone, the demons came back. So it was several thousand years later. But, uh, what I enjoyed was the way that that had been written because in your mind, you might relate that to modern day. You might say, well, actually, this is the age of science that we're in right now. He could be projecting ahead to the time beyond what we're currently in. You know, he's almost like threatening us in a way. He's like, you know, we, we've forgotten something about our past, something magic and the science that we are coveting at the moment really isn't going to do anything about it if these demons were to come back in the in the future. So yeah, I take it this is set in like a fantasy world. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. But it has, what I'm trying to say is, relations to, you know, the way that our world is that kind of pulls us in a little bit and makes us a bit more interested. So yeah, that's the, that's the time scale. The book covers three main characters, Roger, Arlen, and Leisha. So Leisha being a, a woman and Arlen and Roger being males. <clears throat> they, um, these three characters have their own individual stories. And it's that way for basically the whole book until yeah. a very, very small portion of the end where it's almost like an Avengers Assemble style. You can kind of feel it coming. It's not like a spoiler, I guess. It's, you can feel it coming. The spoiler-free premise of the, of the story is that Arlen experiences a very brutal uh, experience with these demons in his home, in his hometown. The, in the, after the age of science, when the demons came back, uh, the human populace had lost the wards that they used to attack. They used the offensive wards. They lost them, but they have remembered the defensive one or found them at least in like scavenging, you know, runes, etc., books, what was left of them. Yeah. So most like hamlets in this world, and it is basically set in just a small portion of the world of, you know, of an actual world. It's, you know, it's like a couple of cities wide, you know, yeah. three cities across, two down. These hamlets are protected by these wards that are carved into the rocks around the houses. Uh, Arlen experiences re- a really, really rough scenario when these creatures attack. And he realizes that, you know, he basically has a massive mortality check and he goes, this sucks. I'm out. He doesn't like the way people are living. He risks it all to leave. And that is when he's about 11 years old and the book ends with him being much much older so it's a, it's a time skip massive time skip yeah but Spoilers. it's <laughs> I, uh, kind of the the book progresses in these time skips oh, okay that's so, the point of the book so as it kind of jumps between characters when you come back to a character there has been a exactly yes yeah. but all of these character stories are completely unrelated the only thing that relates them whilst they're happening is the names of the towns that they are in mm. as they are growing up 
Um, and then obviously there's a finale at the end, uh, which I, I mean, you can guess by the blurb that it's about Arlen trying to find another path, another chance of survival. Yeah. So that's basically the premise of the book, spoiler free. Nice. Sounds, uh, as a, someone who enjoys a good fantasy novel, it sounds uh, quite out my street. So, uh, yeah, sounds fun. Now, this, this is, this is a question that I've asked. Uh, regular co-host Tom, mm-hmm. which have two questions lined up. Yep, and it's going to be interesting to get your perspective, your your answer. I'm terrified because I've forgotten these questions from last time I was here. No, but I haven't asked them before. Oh, oh, really? Oh, this is new. Okay, no, okay, okay. No, I haven't asked okay, you. Right. With a book, what would you say was the first book that kind of really drew you into reading? Skullduggery Pleasant. Nice. That's it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Skullduggery Pleasant. Uh, which one is the first one? Playing with Fire, I think, is the very no, first one. It's just called Skullduggery Pleasant. Is it called Skullduggery Pleasant? Yeah, Playing with Fire is the second. Oh, okay. Option. Then, yeah, Skullduggery Pleasant by Derek Landy. Year seven, I was in, in my English class and they handed out a piece of paper. And on the piece of paper, there was a list of three books. You put your name, you're nodding. nodding. I see you I nodding. I remember yeah. this myself. I, different school, but I same, remember same this. Same thing. Same thing. I had to put my name down on the piece of paper. For one of those books, and I chose Skullduggery Pleasant, and best decision I'd ever made. Like maybe a month or two before this, mm. I'd already been gifted Skullduggery Pleasant. I'd sure. already read it by that point. Yeah. And yeah, it's, I mean, I'm still reading the series now. The series is still ongoing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm still reading it now. That's how good they are. I have, I, I, did, I didn't actually realize they'd made new books. So I was a little bit embarrassed when I heard that there are four new books from when they had ended. I think it's five now. Five, 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 or, five or six. Bloody hell. <laughs> okay. Actually, six, I think. Okay, I'm joining in. So, yes. Okay, that's interesting. No, it's hmm. just because, yeah, because I said on a previous podcast. Yeah, for me, it was uh, Harry Potter, first Harry Potter. Really? Yeah, because before that, I struggled with reading. Hmm. I think my, yes, maybe in year three, my teacher told my parent to get the first Harry Potter for me and they bribe me with like hot chocolate and marshmallows. <laughs> read um, this. <laughs> read uh, if you if you read like ten pages of this, we'll give you a hot chocolate. I was like, sure. So, <laughs> as a kid, I was like, hey, sweet. Yeah, I, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah, and I just got hooked, and since then I've been a huge reader. So yeah, that was the first book. Yeah, but That's it's always it's always interesting to ask people when like what because the thing is with. The first Harry Potter. I can't actually remember any books I would have read before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like my reading journey started there, and it's evolved so much. I realise quite uh, quite recently, actually, because I went back to in the last couple of years rereading a book that I had read somewhat at the same time called Mortal Engines. Oh, such a good yeah, series. Yeah, you know, the film was. Um, I haven't seen the film. You haven't seen the film. No. Okay, I enjoyed. I enjoyed having some of the visuals presented to me yeah. from from All something that I had you know, imagined. Yeah. I enjoyed that. But I think whoever had made that had suffered it, it quite a lot of problems. Peter Jackson, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it, he, there must have been some problems, Henry. There's no way that Peter effing Jackson could have created something that bad without, <laughs> oh, no. without there being something that oh, went horrifically dear. wrong. Like, I mean... Seriously, that it was, it was weak source. But I really did enjoy the the very few pieces of 
you know, graphics that were actually accurate yeah, to the story that were that were good. Like it was it was weak. It was really, really effing weak. <laughs> anyway, um sorry, yeah, uh, Mortal Engines. So Mortal Engines was probably the the other contender for Skulldegree Pleasant as being my first book. But I genuinely don't remember which one it was. I, I enjoyed Skulldegree Pleasant so much that any book that I could have read at that time period has been pushed to second, third, fourth, fifth, etc. Like it doesn't it does not matter anymore. A creative, quirky, interesting, deep, dark, magical, sci-fi action-packed book with you know, friendships and all the all the lot demons. Skeleton detectives. Skeleton detectives. What more do you want? That's it's mm, yes, creme de la creme. Interesting. Again, for you, it was a fantasy book. Because for yeah. me, Harry Potter fantasy book for um other Tom, it was a fantasy book. Well, from sci-fi, I can't quite remember. Oh, for him as well. Yeah. But I mean, he as much as I tried to get him to read non-fiction he still refuses um <laughs> maybe he, if he, he hears this he might pick up a <laughs> but for him his mate his go-to books are always sci-fi fantasy yeah, sure. that is his bread and butter really for reading material but i mean hey so long as you're reading yeah no 100 percent. i mean i don't really know what seven-year-old is going to pick up a biography and go uh, actually this is this is really interesting dad no. can i have another one uh, but that's the thing for me i think it's been later in life where i found there is non-fiction out there, mm. but people can still tell amazing stories. There are people in the world who have done amazing, amazing things. things, and hearing their story mm. is amazing. Or there's really cool information you can learn from, or there's knowledge you can gain from books that is, again, interesting, or presented in an interesting way. Yeah, yeah. And you can learn from it, or you can be inspired by it, or you can just, even just some of the stuff, it is a good story. Um but that's why I like a balance of fiction and non-fiction is because fiction, I can get great stories and, hey, it's cool to have dragon riders fighting an army of necromancers and everything. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. a good bit of fun. But then I can also read amazing accounts of survival or heroism mm. or conflict that people have gone through and you're like, how the hell did they survive this? This is incredible that this is a true story. And it's like, again, it's that old age sometimes true life is stranger than fiction. And the way some of these people tell these stories is, well, this is amazing that this is actually true. But that's why I like a balance. It's I quite inspiring, I, actually. I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't thought of it like I, that. I always like a balance of fiction and non-fiction. Whenever I'd imagined, this is going to be really, this is an incredibly ignorant comment, so if this doesn't make the final cut, fair enough. Whenever I'd imagined what a, a biography book or a book about real life would have actually been like, um, it reminds me of like Planet Earth. So whenever I watch Planet Earth, the minute that, you know, David Attenborough mentions global warming or stuff that people I've done, I just turn off. Can't deal with it. And the minute, yeah, I see. You, you're so racked with guilt. You have to ignore it. Yeah, I have to. I mean, like I've tried my best. You know, I, I did all my, um, I did all my, uh, you know, you know, I've donated, I've advocated, I've I've argued the cause, I've done all that, and then and then you know, so when twenty sixteen came around, I went. Actually, I've I'm done now. I I can't do this anymore. I'm out. <laughs> I was watching a Grand Designs. Um, so I when totally someone tells you you're the problem, you're just like, nope. <laughs> no, I I know I'm the problem. I'm just handling me. I just can't deal with other people who have caused these problems. Like when I watch, you know, I I want to watch beautiful fishies. I want to watch. 
on a world about, you know, uh, orangutans that fly around in the sky and, and you know, okay, orangutans can't fly, but, you know, from I was going to say, what, what were you on when <laughs> you were watching <laughs> I don't want to know about a, anything that, I, that other humans have done that caused, like, conflict. I want to know about skeleton detectives. I don't want to know things that are fantasy. <laughs> you, you prefer to live in the fantasy world? Basically, yes. Uh, so once once uh, Mark Zuckerberg's got his horrible-looking uh, VR world that working, is awful. We, that's where we're going to find you. Yeah, it's going to be Ready Player One in my in my house. <laughs> yeah. God, I think it was, he put up a, um, a supposed selfie from his VR world. I can't remember what it was, and it looked truly, truly awful. It looked horrifying. I don't know how his marketing team are allowing him to have his own Facebook page. Like, I mean, he's already talked about the fact that he doesn't he doesn't use the technology he's made. He's he's already said that. He says, um, "Oh, it was a really, it was a really interesting line. It was like oh, I can't remember what it is." One of my friends said after he'd said what he'd said, "Well, coke dealers don't often use coke. You know, like they don't often use what it is that they're selling. They just push it. It's yeah. like they can do, obviously. They, they most probably do, but they don't use it to the extent of the people that they're." Not buying off them do like he's he you know yeah, it's like you don't you don't touch the product you just supply it there we go something along those lines so he's already said he doesn't use it and he doesn't allow his daughters or his family members to use it so it just it's just the rest of us who are addicts exactly how can he be allowed to take such an alienated inhuman image of this weird vr world and him be like well, okay just can post online that'll be fun there will be any repercussions on this whatsoever Blimey. Right, what we do next, Emery? Before I move on to my next question, which kind of relates to the first question okay. and what we've been talking about, we're going to move on to the next whiskey, which is the Balvenny 12 Doublewood, which is a whiskey I have, it has been ages since I last had this, so I'm intrigued to... Oh, ages since you've last had this. Yes, yeah, so I'm intrigued to remind myself as to what it is like. It's another space side whiskey. Okay, give me some deets about this. What might what might to expect? That's the thing. It's been a while since I've had it. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, right, I'm, okay. I'm going in almost blind. Like for everyone. Oh wow, that is much sweeter than the than the other ones. Yeah, a lot of oaky, like oaky caramel from that. Right, right. It's like a deep, dark, rich toffee. It really is deep, uh, deep, deep and rich. I definitely, definitely agree. Wow, Jeez. that's beautiful. That one. That one's my favourite. That was gorgeous. So we found your one. Yeah, that one. Well, uh, uh, tell me some more. <clears throat> you ready for next question? Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, what you've been reading recently? Yep. What was the what the book was that kind of got you into reading? Yep. Here's a question I've also posed on Doc. If you could erase from your mind a book, mm -hmm. a game, yeah, and a film. You can read from your mind and mm. watch them again or play them again or read them again for the first time ever. What would they be? This is an evil question. This is a bloody evil question. I'm intrigued to see what your answer is. Right, so can I, I want to recap. Book, film and... Game. Game. Book, film and game. Oh, my life. Would it help if I gave you my answers? No, it wouldn't, Henry. No, it wouldn't. Because you know that I love... I, I can talk forever about movies and well i mean anything but i can talk uh, uh, you know a lot about movies and tv shows and and books and, and, and games that i have read that i've enjoyed and this is dangerous that i can't pick one can i do multiple do i have to pick one if you can think of a couple give us a i couple. definitely can think of a couple yeah okay i want to wipe interstellar from my mind 
like absolutely burn it and then go and rewatch it again from scratch. But for for different reasons than I would have asked to rewatch other films. Mm. So that's why that's why I mentioned it first. So Interstellar, I some context why I appreciated this film so so much. I saw it with my best mate from school, um, Josh. I'd also seen it with my friend Dan. Actually, yeah, we were best mates at the time as well. So it was a, it was a group of three of us, Dan and Josh, and then my 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 foster brother Ethan. We went to the cinema to watch it together, and all all four of us during the scene where they were sailing towards Saturn on the way to save humanity, weeped. All four of us in unison, four males, very totally different social, economical backgrounds, economic backgrounds, we all weeped. Like, it was quite powerful. It was an incredible movie. It was beautiful. It was inspiring. The music was exceptional. And it told a story that I hadn't seen presented in anything similar ever. You know, there have been B-Tech attempts at trying to replicate something along the lines of space navigating, you know, impressive whatnots. You know, even like 2001 Space Odyssey is just, you know, that is there's a standalone film, right? That is a gorgeous, impressive feat of human engineering. Next in my book is Interstellar. Anything other than that, you know, they've done like, you know, The Martian. That was an, that was an amazing film, you know, Gravity, cool. But they all came out in the same period. I don't know why. I don't know if there's like a club that they go to and they talk about all these films and then... I still remember that time where it was like um, White House Down and... Yeah. Uh, the the other one. Yeah, there that, two, that two, other one. How, yeah. how did Hollywood release two films about trying to get the president out of that White House whilst it was being attacked at the same time totally in the same agree. year? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Interstellar was the first... I th- I'm almost certain it's the first. The first representation of a black hole like as you know as accurate as that in modern day in modern day film and tv they put in money effort into trying to create something that would show that phenomenon and they they met oh it, it <clears throat> it's so hard to explain everything it's wonderful okay so anyway so my first choice interstellar is interstellar can i come back later to do another one What's, yeah. what, what would you what was your one so for films uh, for me, it was your name. Oh, oh. I, I watched that film three times in the same week. Bloody hell. Because I remember the first time I watched it. I'm not I'm going to go into spoilers here. Because if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's yeah, an, amazing, it's an yeah. animated film. Anime. Go, just fantastic. Visual, visually stunning. Music is an incredible. Story is absolutely fantastic. But there's a certain there's a plot twist in that film. And as soon as I saw that plot twist, it kind of changed the whole dynamic of yeah, the film for yeah, me. Can agree more. And it just was, it just turned the gear to 11 for that film. It just put it up another notch. I was like, oh, this was so different from what I was expecting. And the plot twist was amazing that I was like, this is great. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it so much. I went and watched it twice more. How many times have you seen it since? Oh, probably like half a dozen to a dozen times. Really? Yeah, I've seen it a lot, subbed and dubbed, and yeah, I've seen it so many times. I've introduced it to so many people as well. Yeah, yeah. Even people who aren't like, even like members of my family who aren't big into like anime or animation films, 
they they enjoyed the story. Didn't we well. watch it together in yeah, that first? I, I introduced I introduced it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just trying to work out if it was in. I know you did. I know you did. there was no question about that. But it's like, was I part of that first week? Triptych? Oh no, no, it wasn't. It was no, much. Later. I, I'd watched it three times already before. Okay, that. fair enough. I understood. <laughs> I showed one of my friends Abby from university on her birthday. It was like we'd we'd been out snowing, you know, we'd all not, you know, you know, snowballs and whatever. Came back, thought, oh, I, I you know a good anime. It's a bit emotional though. I, I, you know, knowing me, you know me, I weeped when I first watched this. Um, I threw it on the TV. She was bawling. This is a bloody birthday. I thought I'd ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good. Oh, by the way, it ends well. Just in case people are wondering, it ends well. We're crying. We cried because it ended well, not because you know it was a horrific film. It's a good film. Okay, so it was game and book were the other game options. Game and book were the other option. Game and book. See, that's difficult because I don't play a lot of single player games. I feel like this question is but, more. But even even so, has there been a, like a time where you've enjoyed a co-op? Um, I'd say co-op. Co-op game that I'd want to try again for the first time would be. Oh man, this is really difficult. My four hundred odd, four hundred and fifty, sixty odd game library is 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 failing me. I can't pick one. G- g- give me a second. I think. Okay, okay. No, I, I've got one. I've got one. It might not be the correct one. It's but it's the only one I can think of at the moment. The Ascent. The Ascent is a game that I want to wipe from my memory and play again. It's a cooperative game, isometric, so top down view from an angle. You play as a like a grunt, basically, in the far future, have been shipped off to another planet to, you know, colonize, etc. Uh, this planet is, you know, heavily, um, heavily overpopulated, and you're quite low in the pecking order of societal whatnots. Uh, you get caught up in a bit of a fight in the basement of one of these towers called the Ascent, and sorry, the Ascent Corporation's tower, and you get hired by the person who owns or works within that. That, that tower not owns it at all to find out why this has happened <clears throat> the reason why i really enjoyed it is because the story was actually very interesting it was a very deep story set in a wonderful uh graphical environment like it was beautiful genuinely gorgeous you'd see different floors of the of this tower the you know the ascent that you're in you'd pick up different weapons as you go along um the fighting combat was wonderful it was energetic. It was difficult. It was an actual, you know, trial and tribulation to finish that game. And I played it with Lewis. I think to complete it, we put about thirty hours in. You know, I mean, to a cooperative game, mm-hmm. that's that's a lot. That's a lot. Oh, do you know what? Actually, I have a game that I'd like to wipe from my memory and play again. Yeah, I have a game. It's called Space Pirates and Zombies. <laughs> have you ever heard of it? Well, say I have. Yeah. You haven't heard of it. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a guess. It's about space pirates and zombies. It is about space pirates and zombies. This was quite possibly one of my first games I played. It's a single player game. I know. Surprise. Surprise for you. Yeah. So it's a single player game about a worker in a spaceship who who breaks their spaceship or, or is in the, 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 the ship breaks. And you have to uh, collect resources from your surrounding galaxy, which is actually you know, Sol, so our, our galaxy, to travel to another one. Uh, the story is that 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 humans had evolved technologically enough to spread out across a galaxy, but then they spread out too far, too fast. They ran out of resources, and all of these little galaxies and all of the warp gates that connected these galaxies were shut off. 
because uh, you know local police forces had to take over to cordon all of these areas, and Sol, you know, our starting galaxy, our homeworld, had had been left in ruin for a while, away from all these other galaxies. So this crew had basically sought something in the middle of the res- uh, of the of the universe called. Um, Actually, no, I don't know why. I don't know what it was. It was in the middle of the universe. I think it was like some like treasure. And that game I put about 200 hours into. I mean, for a single player game to put 200 hours into, my opinion, that's quite a lot. It might not be for other, other, other games, but it's wonderful. That is quite a lot. It was made by two dudes in a garage. <laughs> they, it, it's got the crappiest kind of like photoshopped profile pictures of all the characters that you, that they're in the game. That are humanly possible. It's it's it doesn't go to widescreen. It's 1080p, sometimes janky as hell, but it's it's lovely. It's really good. The mechanics are excellent. It has a tactical mode. You can control a fleet of of ships. Um, other games have kind of made something similar recently. I think like oh, Star. It's not Star Citizen. Um, Star Sector. There we go. Star Sector. Uh, but nothing as good as this. Nothing as good as this. Classic and crappy, but it inspired me. To play, you know, to play a lot of other games since I think that was one of my first ones. Mm. Yeah, there you go. What about you? What about a book? Oh, book. Oh, actually, no. I will tell you my game. Yeah, you do, you do. Because uh, anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a while, anyone who knows me, it's got to be Horizon Zero Dawn. Just the that was the game that kind of I, I liked single player games before that. I loved story. It was kind of probably the game that drew me that made me realize my love for story-driven games sure i just i love the story i got lost in the world and so i just got so lost in the world that it drew me in i played the game finished the story platinum the game it was, it was the first platinum i got so that i was like i love this game so much i want to platinum it yeah yeah totally um and so it just drew me in so much and when horizon forbidden west came out i'd been waiting five years for that game blimey when it came out earlier this year, I played through the story, platinumed it, and I still hop in and hop out of it now and again because it's just visually stunning and so much fun. And there's so much to do. Yeah, there's loads to do. There's but always... I think by the time I platinumed it, I was about 50% through the content wow. or just over. But yeah, it was it. Yeah, it was the first game I got like truly, truly lost in. I was mm. like, I don't want to put this game not not the first game that i never wanted to put down but i was like i love this world i love discovering more about this world. i'd go around find all the data logs and audio files and i'd watch youtube videos on it and oh, blimey, and just, like, is, i got so lost into it it's that, impressive yeah yes that is probably good choice to date my so yeah and there were a good number of plot twists and everything into it so if it was wiped from my memory i would have seriously enjoy it again i know what, what about a book well i haven't really read that many books to be honest i think between mortal engines skull Dogger pleasant and this one i think we're only talking about a handful of other books um and i really mean that that's that's embarrassing it's as i say looking at your bookcase though you've got a good selection you've got good omens got quite good you know, quite a few uh ken follett books there sure so they're not mine uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would explain it then I, I mean, the other books I have read are a bit embarrassed about. So I've read, well, I say embarrassed, not because of the content, but just because that's it. Uh, I've read basically all of the Lego Bionicle books. <laughs> so for people who don't know what that is, uh, Lego's most popular and best-selling franchise of all time 
was a, a series of, of, of Lego toys, uh, Lego characters called Bionicle. It was incredibly detailed. Like the lore was more advanced than the lore that you'd find in modern day films, TV shows, etc. Like I bet you that the wiki for that for that thing is bigger than Game of Thrones, 100% without question. Which unfortunately is what led to its downfall because people who enjoyed that detailed kind of storyline they had to suffer because the people who couldn't follow along with this, they obviously the mass market, you know, the 75% centile people that, that could at that age were loving it because it was all that they could you know, keep up with. It was, it was the thing that would drive them. But then the rest of the population, which is obviously the people that they're supposed to be marketing this, um, that's the, this I thought that Bionic eventually failed because not enough people were buying the product. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that they made the story too complicated for the mass market. Obviously, it was ideal for other people that just love the complicated stuff. Like, not saying that I am 75th centile at all. I'm saying that I loved sitting there, not understanding. I sat there and went, I know, don't get what this dude is. I'm going to Google it. So you're saying, I love being a dum-dum. Yeah, I did. I sat like I like how I, you know, like researching my home labs and my Linux stuff, and my Steam decks and all the technical crap. I I went on a on a mass so you binge to learn the stories and the lore and the books, etc. So for this, mm. instead of it being like this, just one story, I wish I could delete from my mind so I'd reread it again. It's kind of like you. It's the discovery of this world yeah. and everything within it. I couldn't agree more. the The world that was created by that by that franchise, second to none, I think. Not that I have a vast knowledge of any other things ever, because we know that my books are, you know. Five, basically, <clears throat> five franchises. I love it. It's Skullduggery, um, Mortal Engines, then Bionicles, and then something about Winterfang, about a, a dude who survived a, uh, a, a a sledge hike with a with a wolf or some crap. And then, I don't know what it is. And then this wonderful book here. You need, you need to read more, man. I do, but I I'm so picky. Like I find a book that I love, and then I don't stop, and then I you know. You know, I read during company hours. I read when I should be sleeping. I read in the loo. Like, I read, read, read. And <laughs> when it's done, it's done. So, set up a bookshelf in your loo and you might... Uh, <laughs> I might actually, yeah. You might actually finish. I'll put up a Wi-Fi jammer in there so I can't, like, you know, look at, look at Instagram or That's whatever. That's probably a good idea. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, anyway, Bionicle, wonderful. I think I'd, I'd compare it only to... So the comic books, would you say? Uh, if it was to be a book, it'd be the comic books from that. Okay, yeah, we'll do that because do you know what? The comics are actually written by, or sorry, graphically produced by DC. Hmm. Yeah, fun fact. Fun fact. That's how it? good they were. And they were beautiful. Now, did you have another film? Because you'd said you'd. So many. I'd say Lord of the Rings, and then I'd follow that up with iRobot. Both great films. Yeah, I'd say Lord of the Rings because fantasy. A true and accurate, wonderful depiction of a exceptional series of books. Uh, something that my my dad showed me as well. So close to my heart, I want to relive that kind of you know. Oh my days! My first fantasy film. Whoa! There's an orc. Oh my days! These getting stronger, Henry. I don't know. Um, the the no, more the, ice pits, the worse the, it the one we, one we, next final one we have, which is combo more twelve. Good. It is forty percent, <laughs> so it's less than okay. than we'd have previously. There's an Islay whiskey. Have you so, had this one before? I've had this one before, so it's a bit smoky. Oh, oh, that yeah. is smoky. Yeah. I get it. So you can definitely get the difference. Yeah, yeah, I see now. Yeah, so as I think I've said on previous podcasts, for me, for books, it would be 
the first Game of Thrones. Interesting. Because it, mostly because of the ending, because it was so unexpected. And for me, it was that shift from almost child-like fantasy books where it's all the good guy always wins. And in the start of Game of Thrones, you think it's going to be like that. It's the Starks. They're the good guys. They're going to win. And then Ned loses his head. <laughs> and it goes completely different oh, from what you were expecting. True. Game of Thrones, they were brutal with their storytelling when they, they they made sure that their characters didn't last more than five yeah. minutes. Yeah. yeah. Like people have literally bookmarked the spots where people die in, in the book. Have they actually? Yeah. Yeah. People have like bookmarked where major characters die in the books and it's just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so much. That's funny. That's actually really funny. Yeah. What I liked about, actually, no, what I didn't like about The Painted Man is the fact that they, uh, Peter Brett, clearly made well I say clearly I thought he'd made this as part of a series from the get-go so when I did read it and it had that kind of Avengers Assemble vibe at the end of the book uh, I'd felt like I'd been sort of cheated out of a finale I think maybe last time I was on here I talked about that possibly or at least I've talked about it to you recently films and TV shows are now creating much more continuum stories and that's really jarring me. Like, because they're setting the sequel bait is to set stuff up. Did you call it a sequel bait? Yeah. I've never heard of that before. And that's so accurate. It's yeah. exactly what it, it is. It is to set stuff up. If they think it's going to be popular, setting stuff up for potential for more, mm. therefore an excuse if it's successful to print money. Yeah. Recently. This book, if you were to have never been told there was another one, the ending was much like Game of Thrones. Not like where the dude loses his head because it's about the painting man. But like the the finale is enough to have finished the part of the book that was present but doesn't honour the quantity of the book that is about the past. If that makes sense. There's a lot of build up, there's a there's a small there's a decent amount of present, but then the finale to kind of cordon off that is that doesn't feel like it's enough, you know? But because I knew this was part of the series and I knew this was going to quickly lead into another book and I didn't have to wait a year or two years for the dude to finish writing it, you know, if I felt happier. But much like TV and films, etc., Fantastic Beasts, a wonderful example. Film one, exquisite, you know, full rounded story, complete, had its themes that would clearly go to continue on. I'll pass this book, this uh, book and film. But the second film, designed entirely as part of a set. It was very clear. The pacing was off. It was spread out a little bit, much like how I could see the same happening in The Painted Man. There were The, the pacing is much more spread out, but the benefits of, of that, of having, of having that and actually having a completed story, because the franchise is completed, <clears throat> is that I got more detail about the characters more detail about things that I think will matter later in the books. Um, I think there are four other, there are four other books. There's three on the shelf and I've got one downstairs. So to have four other books worth of detail about the basis that has been set in this one book makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Just a little bit irritating that, yeah, you are right. That is serious bait, isn't it? Yeah, but um, sequel bait. Yeah. Sequel bait. Often like, Often, a majority of books, if they're going to be serious, you will discover more as the characters go on. You discover new things about the world with the characters. Mm. Now, I see a 
what is your opinion on this whiskey? Again, that you're getting that smokiness, it's aren't you? It's in my eyes, Henry. I don't like it. Is it like a bonfire? It when is a smoke bit. I, towards you. I thought the other one was smoky, but it's not. It's it's kind of it's just this kind of thick overhead. But this is it, it's so there. It's so there that it makes me feel embarrassed that I'd even guessed that one of the other ones was smoky. Have you tried it yet? I, mean, I have. Just, I've sippled it. And right, it, what do you think? Because often when people try peated whiskey, some people absolutely love it. Like Tom, he absolutely loves smoky whiskies. If judging from that reaction, you're not quite nope. on the same level. Not for me. I think you're like me. You tend to prefer the smoother. That's quite unpeated. shrill and sharp. Yeah, I'm getting a bit of a... Nice thing about Bowmore is at least it's not quite as smoke-heavy as other ones because, mm. like I said before, it does use sherry cask okay. in the mix. But this, I'm getting quite a bit of grassy notes, touch of fruit. I'm getting that smoke through, of course. Mm. But yeah, I've had... At least I'm picking up other things where I've had other smoky whiskies where I'm just like, all I get is smoke and I can't pick out anything else from it. And that's why I think I tend to prefer unpeated whiskies. Sure. Because I, often with those, I feel I can pick out a variety of other flavours where smoke is, for me, is sometimes hit and miss. Sometimes I will get more than just the smoke, whereas other times I will mm. just get the smoke. Kind of to draw us to a close then, of the... Uh, that you've tried today the second one the second one the Deanston yep that was my favourite one I thought it was this one it, it, it's very close Between very very close I do think the second one um, I think having tried the other ones it gave me a bit of a how do I explain that sounding so vague it's like a sense of scope like the first one was really nice but the second one kind of made me enjoy a bit more of a harsher taste a sort of depth yeah, More thank depth. you. Right. I appreciate that. Thank, thank, thanks, Henry. Yeah, second one. I say Dean's Dean's and 12. Interesting, because I thought you were going to say the Balvenie or the Ockentoshin, but yes. The, um, hang on, let me just have a little smell of it real quick because I'm familiarised myself. That one, the, the Ockentoshin, Ockentoshin, that was really, really easy to drink. I think in comparison, you know, like having had them both on the same day, I can, I would have, okay, if I were to just have had one, on its own, I think the Deanston, very, very close to the, um, what's this one? Balvenie. Bal Balvenie. Yeah, just very close. But as the as the set, I think I appreciated that this one was a bit more dense compared to the other ones I tried. Nice. It's, so I think, I think possibly it's because maybe the Ockentoshin is that slightly lighter character you get from the uh, Tripodless Stellation that you found it kind of that easier to drink. But then the others, you just get that more depth of flavour, maybe? Yeah, okay, yeah, that makes maybe sense. That's, maybe that's why you, the Balvenie and the Deanston stood out to you most. Do you know what? There's only one thing to do here. Try them again soon. <laughs> so that I actually, I can I can get this into my yeah, head. Well, you got, a, you got a nice little whiskey shop quite close to you. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I actually do. A lovely gentleman. What was the name of the store? Do you remember? No, I can't actually. Oh, we'll find it. I'll, I'll make sure that it's, um, I'll give you the details. Yeah. Well, I don't have any more questions for you until next time. I have to get you back on again. I don't have anything and, else uh, I want to talk about either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for trying some whiskies with me. Nice to get your opinion and nice for me to refresh myself on these and try something new as well. Yeah, true. Some of these you haven't had yet or one of them. Yes. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was a nice, nice little whiskey sampling sampling
Thank you very much, Henry. Well, thank you. It. Thank you for joining me. If you um, want to see more of Tom, check out the Green World Gaming on YouTube and uh, Twitch. So, uh, yes, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we'll see you guys next time.